Since 1928, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has handed out trophies for what it considers the best films of the year. And in all that time, audiences often, if not always, have their own opinions. This is Academy vs. Audience, where we revisit all the best pictures and the corresponding box office champions. Coming to you live from a hastily assembled blanket fort to compensate for leaving my good mic on a different location, I'm Dan Gibbons. With me, as always, is Aaron Weir. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Dan. I'm not going to ask how you are because you're in a fort. Trying not to sweat into my computer. <laughs> and Claire Bolton. Hello, Claire. Hello, Dan. And it's joint champion time again as we visit one of the seminal coming home from war movies, The Best Years of Our Lives. Three men from three different military branches meet and bond on the long trip home to Boone City. Bombardier Fred, Infantry Sergeant Al, and Navy Sailor Homer. Each has their own struggle returning home. Al finds it easier to bond with a bottle than his family and finds his new job at the, his bank is to try and wiggle out of the GI loans his fellow vets were promised. Fred returns home to the wife he married in a hurry before deployment and finds his return is cramping her lifestyle. And Homer lost both hands in the war and hates the idea of being pitied. Fred finds himself drawn to Al's grown daughter, which becomes a wedge between them. And Homer is is still in the movie, but soon they find ways to adjust to life at home. Well, two of them do, and, and then we ran out of screen time. <laughs> yes. Not wrong. It's not wrong. No, it ties up in a beautiful bow that they went, Oh, crap, it's almost been three hours. We should just stop this movie. We're done now. <laughs> Everything's good. It is really, like, it's a slice-of-life movie, so somehow it's very boring. I I agree. I thought that the first hour, like, didn't need to be there. Like, out of an almost three-hour movie, I was like, nah, cut it down. Like, that whole, I get it, we meet them, it's that introductory hour, like, mm -hmm. legit introductory hour of them meeting at the airport getting on the plane, arriving home, where you're establishing their lives back home after the war, and then all the good stuff happens. There's yeah. like some, there are some thematically important things that happen in the first hour, like the fact that it is this hard getting home to Boone City uh, plays into the whole, uh, we're back from war, now what angle for me? Because it's like, okay, I want to raise a question about how they shipped everybody home from Europe or Japan and then just dropped them at the nearest port city and dipped out without actually getting them a ticket to their actual homes. But that just feels really accurate. It does seem extremely accurate. Yeah. You're in America but now. Good luck. Bye. Somehow, like, I felt like not enough time was given to that. Yeah, that probably could have used more. And then, of course, we have uh, Homer showing off everything he can do with his hook hands. Oh my, he's so good with them too. And like the 1940s technology being that good. Honestly, I loved Homer. Homer blew my mind. He's not an actor. Uh, Harold Russell's previous credit was the military training video on how to use those hook hands. Yeah. He, he was so endearing. Mm -hmm. And like, I thought his story was actually like really, really solid because mm -hmm. It's a legitimate concern. Like, it's still a legitimate concern of what do you do if you lose a 
appendages. Like he, not just one, he lost both of his arms. And in the scene way, way later where he's dressing for bed, like the first time he's able to dress for bed that we see, mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm so happy I have my elbows. But it's just oh, like, yeah. oh my God. Oh. So like, many options open up with being able to just move his stumps up and down. Yeah. And the fact that they gave him like such vulnerability as a character is astounding because this is still the 1940s and it was, I feel like, still a time of like man's men and stiff upper lip and push through, which I mean does come up in the movie. It comes up with, with Fred, Al. not and, and Al. Yeah. 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 But they give this young man who's not an actor so much vulnerability and yeah. so much so much emotion. Mm-hmm. The scene where he meets the uh, conspiracy theorist about the war. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The like, the one we picked the wrong side guy we run oh. into. Mm-hmm. Which, right? you know, was a thing. It was definitely a thing because it's still a thing and it didn't just happen. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm saying just read the papers. Just follow the facts. I'm oh, saying my God, to a man who lost both his hands. Both. That's so on the nose even today like he challenges this guy's opinion and he says do your own research man like <laughs> like i was <sighs> literally in the war this is the reason my inability to have a proper what he believes a proper life is because of this like uh, uh, and <laughs> i know fred uh. gets fired from the drugstore for punching that guy through a display case <laughs> And personally, my only note, my only note was, I don't think punching Nazis should ever be a fireable offense. No. And he, like, Captain America punches him. Like, I have never seen someone punch that hard. Right? And that man deserved it. He deserved to be punched in the face. Mm -hmm. Homer just straight up stole his American flag pin with his hook hands. That (laughs) That that I really loved. I loved Homer, like, looking down and being like, this is mine now. Well, he pulled it off of him, didn't he? Yep. Yeah, when they Just were like snagged yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But I do Only think- one complaint I had with, with the actor playing Homer is that there's a one scene where he wakes up in the nose of the plane, taking the Boone City, and stares out at the landscape, and it felt very live action Lion King. <laughs> I noted this is a long close up to not express an emotion. But overall, for a guy whose only credit was a training film on the use of his own prosthetics, he does okay. He does mm-hmm. okay. And Wilma, his lady back home, Ooh. is so, so sweet. Because there is that real, like, he's so afraid that she's going to leave him. And, like, her love for him, her never dying, all, like, oh, it's just so beautiful. And her honesty when she says, like, I don't know if I can handle it handle it until you let me try to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Is ugh. Let's talk about some strong women in this movie. Uh-huh. Myrna Loy. Myrna frickin' Loy. Like, top billing number one. Nineteen forty yep. in a war movie about dude bros being dude bros. Mm-hmm. Myrna Loy gets top billing and she kills it like i know she's not she's not even a lead like in this cast i would say she's not a lead she's a secondary character supporting character yeah but top billing 
and every time she's on screen, just kills it. The For our listeners at home, she plays Al's wife, who is a lot happier to see him home than Fred's wife. <laughs> this is why you don't marry someone five days before you ship off, Fred. Right, Fred? I kind of appreciated that about Fred's arc. I mean, we did two movies. Well, one movie and a cost and a, a bunch of skits the army put on on a big screen <laughs> yep. that each had a subplot about, well, I'm deploying to the war. Guess I better get married immediately. And best years of our lives is the one willing to say, actually, um, maybe getting married to someone you haven't been with that long in a rush and then not seeing them for three years is a bad idea. Maybe it won't work out. Like, maybe it will, but maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. She's, turns out, not that nice of a lady. She's not. No. And I mean, like, let's, let's be real here. She's probably, like, 20. You know? Like, she's young. She, she's the one who also gets the title line in the movie. In such an ironic way, when she says to him, well, you're not making any money. You suck. I gave you the best years of my life. What did you give? Right? Lady. He was in war during the best <laughs> years of his life. Lady, you right? gave him a month. Yeah. So she, like, she really wanted to live her 20s. Mm-hmm. And, like, do all of the things and go to all the fancy parties and dance with the people and drink the champagne cocktails. Like, and spend all his war money. Yeah. Like, she's, she was making, what, like $500 a month between her job and his um, army salary? Something like that, yeah. Which I'm sure was supposed to be shared between her and his parents, or his his stepmom and his dad. Because she was supposed to live with them. Demonstrably destitute parents. Right? Right? Who yeah. are lovely people. And she can't be if... bothered to pick up her clothes off of the ground. Like, when that scene when he comes home... When she's ironing her party dress in their apartment kitchen, and there's just like clothing and newspapers and magazines like strewn about the place, and he's like, "WTF? Like I've been out all day trying to find a job because we have zero money, mm-hmm. and I come home and it's just a disaster zone. And you know, you're ironing a dress in the kitchen and saying, let 'Let's go out.'" And I, I do like his storyline of not being able to find work, that shockingly, the army does not train you for anything with civilian life. Again, like, very realistic. Yeah. Turns out being a medal-winning bombardier doesn't translate to a lot of office positions. No. Which, again, is a good part of the whole, the struggles of coming home. They each have their own angle, and part of Fred's is the, my skill set doesn't translate. Here's the thing. I'm going to, like, pause for a second. This movie is good. Like, all of the things it does, it does well. And there's, you know, the the symbolism of her leaving the house a mess and all of that is good. But I don't understand what we did for three hours. No. I was saying there was thematically important stuff in the first hour, but I think you could have done it in ten minutes. Oh, 100%. It did not need a whole hour. I mean, they did need to meet and bond on the airplane because being in separate branches, they wouldn't have met otherwise. 100%. And then they become, that's their, that's how their lives intertwine when they're home. But they like meet and bond on the airplane and then they drive around in a car together for like forever. And we see every single conversation they have in the car. 
and, and then those conversations are like filler conversations. Yes, yeah. and like maybe yes, Greg does to... have to. Sorry, maybe you could montage them laughing together a little instead mm-hmm. of walking us through every chat that they have between unnamed port city and unnamed flyover state that they all live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, yes, Fred has to meet Peggy, which is the daughter of Al. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that also takes like a super, super long time. And then he's like too drunk to get into his own apartment. So then he has to go to their house. Yeah. And like, it's just. Yep. It's like every scene takes place three times. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, I feel that. And it really, like I said, it doesn't pick up until, like, after that big drunken night, when he spends the night at the Stevenson house, and then it's like, okay, now the real, like, dramatic plotline of this movie can commence. And it is unfortunate how much of it is about Peggy being in love with Fred. Because yeah. I don't really understand why she's in love with him. For a while, I thought maybe he was just the only man she had ever met. But, but then we meet that... Walker or whatever his yeah. name is. Yeah, like, but she has that other suitor. And he seems lovely. Yeah, he's the one who doesn't have PTSD. It's a shame that those other two hate each other so much, referring to Fred and Fred's wife. He's like, yes. it sucks. Yeah. Like, we're all out at this dance party and it sucks that they hate each other. And then she's like, we're all just hate each having other. a good time. I'm going to break them up. I'm going to destroy that marriage, (laughs) father. Of which I love that scene. Like, oh my gosh. Where she's like, I've made up my mind. This marriage, I'm taking it down. She's like, because I want a perfect, all relationships should be perfect. And then once again, Myrna Loy coming in and like her brilliant wisdom acting is like, our relationship's not perfect. Hey, Al, how many times have I said I hate you in the last like month? How many times have you said you hate me? How many times? You're literally an alcoholic and you need to not be that. It's ruining our lives right now. But you work through it. <laughs> it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, yes. She's like, I mean, destroy the relationship if you feel like it. But. You're my daughter and I support you. But also, relationships are not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Don't expect some fairy tale romance is ever going to happen. That's sort of near the end of Al's arc. I mean, Al doesn't but- really have an arc. I he wish he covers the whole thing. He covers the whole thing about the banks. He does a speech about how banks should be less of a dick about giving loans to GIs, and one of the most thinly veiled metaphors you've ever heard. And I guess <laughs> yep. doesn't get fired. Nope. And well, that's because it. he cannot do any wrong because the manager of the bank is in love with him. Mm-hmm. Like calls the house him, yeah. every single day, being like, "Is Al home yet? Is Al home yet?" Al, like, just gives away, he's like, you get money, you get money, you get money. And the bank manager's like, hey, maybe don't give, like, everybody a loan. Maybe not. And And Al's like, like, no, I'm doing it. I'm gonna give anybody I feel like, because I trust my gut. And the bank manager's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, let's do a party on your behalf. (laughs) Right? So I guess it is hard to call that an arc, and it definitely has no stakes, no highs nor lows, just his wife chiding him about not drinking too much punch at Homer's wedding. Okay, but was the punch non-alcoholic? It was non-alcoholic. I thought so. He, yeah, because he says it's for kitties, because the Homer and Fred both give him a, like, a, ooh. But we never see that, like, 
Al's actual realization moment of like, yes, I do need to stop drinking. Like, mm-hmm. it's just his wife is on him like beautifully though, Be- like where she's taking the glasses like subtly from him and like counting how many he drinks he's had and like subtly being yep. like, Mm-mm-mm, don't do that. No, not today, my friend. So we see that, but we never see the point where he's like, ah, yes, I puked all over myself and slept in a gutter, and I don't think I should drink anymore. Because he even, he still drinks after the party where he makes an ass of himself except for Myrna Loy saving him. Yeah, exactly. So, and then suddenly in the final scene. And that's why he gives her the punch, because he's like, see, no, look, look, it is legitimate punch. It's just a fruit punch. Yeah. For now. For now. Until Fred starts dating his daughter, then he'll be back on the drink. Yeah. But I will say, this movie, way better at showing an alcoholic arc than our last movie about alcoholism. Uh Uh-huh. It's like, look how much better they are depicting a hangover than Billy Wilder managed to do. Right? (laughs) This, I believe, is a man who has woken up after too much drink and isn't sure where he is. Yep. Mm, yep. Even and more like, so for Fred, who definitely doesn't know where he is. He was because <laughs> he's confused. never been there before. <laughs> nope, he didn't know anything. Oh, Fred. But I will say on that on Al's arc as well. Like PTSD was not like yes, it was a legitimate thing. But in the 1940s, especially at this point in time, directly after the war had finished, it's not a thing. Like it's not anything anybody spoke about. It's like, oh yeah, he's he was shocked because of the war, so we understand why he drinks. Like that's yeah. the sort of general yeah. statement about it. And Al does say, like, I hope nobody tries to fix me, and he goes on that like yelling tangent at the beginning where he's like, I don't want anybody to help me, and I'm just gonna tough it through, and blah blah blah. And you're like, yeah, I get it, because that was what was expected of you in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. You didn't get to be like, hey. I am legitimately struggling and have post-traumatic stress disorder because I was in a war. I was at Hiroshima. Like, my son is asking me about that. And he's not talking about it. Right? So Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Between the smoking and the drinking and the Hiroshima, he's probably dead of cancer in five years. <laughs> probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Fred yeah. and Peggy will name their first child Al. Yeah. Also. Did that son, like, disappear? Yes. Like, yeah, like, we yep. see him, and they're like, go do your homework, and then he never returns? Was he at the I, weird wedding? The wedding wasn't weird. The wedding I don't was think sweet, so. I think, but... I think he only showed up, they only showed up with Peggy. I think so. I mean, I guess Maybe he, he went probably back to doesn't school? want to go to the wedding of a stranger. <laughs> no, he's trying to spend some time apart from his dad, who stole a flag covered in well wishes from family members from a dead soldier and is now handing it to him to put on his wall as a memento like the sword okay yeah the sword's cool maybe he could have thought that but the flag one felt morbid mm-hmm. a little bit yeah mm-hmm. i but killed you know him what? and stole this memento from all of his loved ones to remember him forever for you <laughs> And that's why we never see that boy again. Yep, yep. You gotta you got get back to college. Sorry, bye, Dad. Peggy, you deal with this. <laughs> and deal with it she shall. I mean, when she's not busy trying to break up marriage. I mean, that marriage was already broken. She didn't need to try hard. 
She did not no. just try hard. I mean, Fred's wife was doing the heavy lifting on that one. Oh, yes, she is. I will say, Having like, an she... old friend over to go clubbing. <laughs> oh, my God. She is a villain. She is terrible. But she's not, like, cartoonishly evil. No. Like, she makes sense. She's she a woman like... who got herself in a situation that was not right because she didn't realize what she was doing. Well, exactly. Like, she's, like, in her early 20s. She's a little baby still going out into the world. Also, a woman... In your 20s, in the 1940s, like, she she was expected to get married, and now she's like, I want to just live my life. I I get it. I get I was a woman in my 20s, you know? Like, all of that tracks, but she was not right for him. Like, it was all... No, no. They should have never been married. And she may have been, a, like, he didn't know her for that long, but she may have been a different person before she did live her life for three years while he was away. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, as soon as he left, she took a job at a nightclub and started living a very different lifestyle than he, he probably remembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, he's a different person, too. He is a person who needs to sit in old decommissioned planes and have PTSD flashbacks and then make a very good, very healthy choice to take a job destroying those planes, which is absolutely, like, brilliant. Brilliant movie. Great, great work. He does need that. Yes. Yep. Yes. I did really appreciate the giant sweeping shots of him walking through this huge airplane graveyard mm-hmm. since he was the bombardier and he's been tossed aside just like all of these mm-hmm. old planes. Then just climbs into one and purges all of his night terrors by just sitting in a bomb and remembering stuff. Yeah. It's like, that... can I help you destroy all of these planes and make houses? Because they, they've been tossed aside as wreckage, but they still serve a purpose. Ooh, symbolism. Whoa. Whoa. I said that in my sarcastic voice, but I did kind of appreciate it. And uh, my parents sort of wandered in and out while I was rewatching this one. And my, my father was very impressed by the sweeping shots of air, of old airplanes being torn apart. So that was some good camera work. Mm-hmm. Also, I think I mean, they did some good stuff with depth of field, like when Homer's playing chopsticks with his friend and al is just watching fred way in the background breaking up with peggy yeah over the phone in a terrible like in a terrible way he says terrible things he does you're a girl who takes things too seriously we can't hang out oh fred Fred. i know what you're doing you're trying to make yourself into the bad guy and you're succeeding you are you're also trying to save your marriage your doomed doomed (laughs) marriage doomed marriage then at the wedding, you've got Homer and Wilma doing their end of the ceremony. You've got Fred in the immediate foreground, just staring at Peggy in the background. That's a great little shot there. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. reconcile through eye contact. Well, I My note for the wedding ceremony was, uh, there's a reason that most films and TV shows, if they're going to show an entire wedding ceremony, have the bride and groom write their own vows. Mm-hmm. Except the vows were like a little bit different than the classic ones that we use now. Mm-hmm. Just different enough that I was like, this is jarring for me. No, no criticism to the movie. They couldn't know things would change. No. It was longer. Like, the sentences, the, the ceremony itself was quite short. But the sentences they had to say to each other, the repeat after me's, were longer than I thought they should be. But I was like, oh, God, if that were me, I wouldn't remember the back half of that. No. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But it but was... him. Putting the ring on her finger. I know. That was sweet. Yeah. Yeah. 
And in also, my mind, I was thinking, um, with this ring, I thee wed. With this gold band, I am now blowtorch onto your hook hand, I thee wed. But <laughs> it's like, let the moment be sweet. You don't got to, you don't got to goof all over it. <laughs> but, you know. I was wondering if they were going to do something for him, and I was very happy that they didn't. But yeah. Also, I think the other thing, going back to what was jarring about the ceremony itself, it was, and I was like, oh yeah, this is true, but it was very, it was very much of its time, and very much that women were still possessions that were given from yep. father to husband, uh, mm -hmm. because even in the, when the priest is like, if anybody should speak, he didn't say anybody or any persons, he said any man, and then said let him him and i was like interesting interesting so even that language has now shifted, shifted. yeah well and especially because this is a movie filled with women with like such autonomy and power mm -hmm. even though they are all wives girlfriends of main characters daughters which mm -hmm. is who we play they still had such autonomy and power yeah it did yeah there were some funny moments for me in this movie, too. I love when he was trying to sell a woman perfume, and it's this ridiculous <laughs> series of boxes. Like, and you get a lot for a good price. Opens the box. There's another box. Opens that box. There's a smaller container. Pulls a glass vial out of the larger container. And meanwhile, her kid has, like, assembled a train behind them and is, like, <laughs> knocking everything off the counter. Yup. <laughs> And my mom's like, oh, Billy, don't do that. thought the wisest <laughs> character was the bar owner that's a friend of Homer's who just wrote down that all advice sounds a little more sage if it's coming out of somebody gently tickling the ivories. I call it the wrong. Rolf effect. Mm. <laughs> He's not wrong. Yep. yep. I did appreciate that all of the men in this movie were different ages and they were cast appropriately to be different ages. Ditto. Like the Fred, Fred felt a little close to Al for me. But I looked him up and he's only in his mid-30s hmm. at the time. And then Homer's about 10 years younger. And you know, Al's he's about just... 10 years older. Yeah. yeah, Al was almost 50. Which I will say, I don't really understand why Al went to war when the bank manager stayed home and called yeah. every day. And I wish they had explored that a bit. Like Al's motivations for <laughs> enlisting. Because he obviously would have enlisted. He wouldn't have been drafted, yeah. I don't think. You wouldn't think he'd have been on the list, no. no. Yeah. He had his reasons. And I want to know them. <laughs> I want this three-hour movie to be longer. <laughs> Dear movie, I need this. Please tell me why. Maybe there's some stuff you could have cut to fit in better stuff. I mean... Exactly. Yes. But yeah, overall, I enjoyed this movie. Like, I... Yeah, it was fine. It was a... Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. I just... Found I like long. Yeah, appreciated it more this time, but yeah, it was on the longer side. Mm -hmm. I might I'm like, I not, I might notch movie. it up a couple places on my ranking over the problematic male lead district. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, y'all. It's a three-hour movie, and I feel like we talked about everything we need to talk about. I, I, I feel the same. Yeah, we love Homer. The end. Yeah, skimming my notes, it's like just little like random nitpick questions like uh, I mean Homer has friends right? Has he known Fred long enough for him to be the best man? 
But well, you know, Fred just decided he was the best man. Yeah. Uh, Fred did just decide that, didn't he? And Homer seems like a nice boy who's like, okay, well, that's important to you then. I also feel like Homer retreated so much that when he first got home that he might have like ostracized his friends, you know, like any friends he did have, he didn't, because that, he almost did that to Wilma. Mm -hmm. So like, I I believe was a sport boy. He He was a sport boy. Yeah. I could see him being closer to, see him being closer to Fred and Al because they never knew him with hands. He doesn't have to deal with them staring and trying to be awkward about not noticing his hooks. Like, this is just how they know him. Yeah. Because, like, even his little sister, like, that whole scene where he's shooting in the shed and then his little sister and all of her friends are, like, trying to peek in the window to see his hook hands and all of that. And he gets so mad that he ends up, like, punching through the window and just terrifying the children. And then feeling so ashamed and remorseful and like just i was like oh homer yeah she's also like seven she's just little mm-hmm. but then he tucks her in and it's just like so yep. sweet oh the scene where his dad has to come in and take his arms off mm-hmm. and his dad just you know every night when you're ready for bed just call for me yeah so like yeah, I he believe- had them off okay but it's the fact that he can can't put them back on and that whole, like I said, that whole scene when Wilma is there witnessing this for the very first time and he's like, if the door closes, I can't get out. Like, it's just such a beautifully vulnerable moment for somebody, especially somebody who is, who went to war, who fought for his country, like, all of these, at that point in time as well, like the machismo, that masculinity that was so apparent. And he's just saying, I, I'm trapped. Like, if the door to my bedroom closes when I'm sleeping, I can never leave it. Like, somebody has to rescue me. And it's so beautiful. And then when she leaves, when Wilma leaves, she closes the door and then, like, just opens it that little tiny bit for him. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh man, the end. That's yeah. Yep. And then they and then they're like, and now they're married. The end. Everybody got what they wanted. <laughs> Al's no longer an alcoholic, and Peggy and Fred are together. We've done it, everybody. Movie over. That's it's my final note. Homer's happy. Fred and Peggy are happy. Al is present. The end. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's perfectly fine. You know who was a fan of this movie, or rather is. This was named as one of the top ten favorite movies of all time of Steven Spielberg. Interesting. This is why I felt I had to pay close attention rewatching it. Like, oh no, I ranked it so low. Is he, did he see something I didn't? He could. He's Steven Spielberg. I'm not going to pretend to know more about movies than that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, is there something you think? Maybe he just There's also some... loves Homer. Maybe. Maybe that could be it. Homer's a very progressive character. Even today, my thought was, if you made this in 2022, uh, Homer would be played by some popular or buzzworthy actor wearing like green sleeve gloves Mm -hmm. for the hooks to be put on in post. Or if they couldn't find anybody who fit that description, Eddie Redmayne. (laughs) Not wrong. (laughs) And yeah, there'd be some blowback. 
Man, even Riverdale did it right. Riverdale had a, a character who was a vet who had lost his leg in uh, some sort of army thing related to Archie. And they found an actor who had lost his leg in a subway accident. Not the army, but if Riverdale can do it right, Hollywood should do it right. I'm sure they could find somebody who has lost both of their arms. Seems probable. I mean, Black Lightning needed to find for their maiden antagonist an African-American albino. And they found one. Mm-hmm. There you go. There are lots of actors. Of- yep. So this movie was nominated for eight Oscars, and it won seven of them. Oh, wow. Wow. addition to picture, it won director for William Wyler, actor for Frederick March, who played Al... Okay. Uh, okay. Not a big surprise. I feel like we've heard his name a lot in the other nominees sections. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's his was time. Like, when are we getting to that guy? Oh, not until 46. But I thought he was Fred and he's Al. Uh, supporting actor for Harold Russell. Screenplay, editing, score. And it also picked up an honorary Oscar for Harold Russell because they're like, well, we can't just send this guy home. Without anything, we're going to give us, we're going to make up a special honorary Oscar for his achievement. And then he won Supporting Actor anyway. That makes my heart so freaking happy. Yeah. Yeah. And producer Samuel L. Goldwyn won the Irving Thalberg Award that year, which Wikipedia accredits to this movie. But I don't think that's how the Thalberg works. (laughs) So, yeah. They're just making connections. It only lost sound recording. Oh, okay. Also yeah. won the Golden Globe, and I believe a year later was the first ever film to win the best film of any origin at the BAFTAs. Huh. Oh. Which start to happen around this point. Okay. At time of recording, <laughs> it is ranked number nine by Rotten Tomatoes. Huh. So in the top ten... Right under it happened one night and right over All Quiet on the Western Front. And, okay, I may have ranked it too low at first, but I'm still getting some serious How Dare You Stand Where You Stood vibes from that ranking. Yeah. Like it's too That's too high. high. I'd say this is like, I don't know, we haven't watched all of them yet. This is like in the 20s, maybe? I'd say there, yeah. Like top, top chunk? Especially... Not- that now that we've high. talked about it, I'm like, okay, no, I appreciate it more than I did. Mm-hmm. So long. I ranked it 72nd. I may be willing to put that all the way up to 65th. Okay. Okay. Because there's some, um, there's some I have some notes films in between best years of our lives <laughs> and you can't take it with you on my rankings. Fair. Okay. Yeah. 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 And elsewhere in the top 10... Oh, right. The other nominees. I hadn't gotten to that. The other mm-hmm. nominees were Henry V. Don't think I need to summarize that one. <laughs> it is what it uh, is. The, the Razor's Edge. Story of a pilot traumatized by World War One. No wonder it lost. Get with mm-hmm. the times, man. Yeah, traumatized by World on War Two. <laughs> Give us three, The man. Yearling. About a boy who adopts a deer. Which okay. I wouldn't watch. That. I remember from an episode long runner about how uh, from the episode of the Gilmore Girls about how Lorelai is tired of the annual festival screening The Yearling and town busybody Taylor dares her to find something more fitting but still appropriate and Lorelai fails. That's a tangent. <laughs> and also in the, 
also nominated for Best Picture. The chilling crime drama of a local mogul who manipulates a drunk uncle of a bank manager to steal the town's money to further enrich himself and sits back and cackles in his mansion that it's a wonderful life. Ooh. Also, Jimmy Stewart's in that one. Yep. (laughs) The top ten. Uh, Number two, Duel in the Sun, a love that is cursed by racism. And speaking of racism, at number three, The Jolson Story, a biopic about Al Jolson, in which Al Jolson re-recorded all of his hits for the lead actor to lip-sync along with. Oh. I mean, I know we're not done with him, but, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Don't uh, think too much about Jolson's story being a hit and what that might portend for later on. It's not an Uh, omen. No. Uh, Number four. Blue Skies, an Irving Berlin musical with Crosby and Astaire. Mm -hmm. Number five. The Harvey Girls, about waitresses at train track diners. That can't be right. But it seems right. I don't know. The poster seems a lot more dramatic. And Judy Garland's in it. I got nothing. Okay. Saratoga Trunk, not a sequel to Saratoga, a Western romance with Gary Cooper and Ingrid Bergman, based on the novel by Cimarron author Edna Ferber. Okay. I see why people went. Yes. The Outlaw, a Western from Howard Hughes, featuring Jane Russell. Okay. Prominently featuring Jane Russell on the poster. Fair. Ooh. The Razor's Edge, of which we just spoke. Number nine, Night and Day, a Cole Porter biopic with Cary Grant. Probably the better biopic, but it's the one that made less. People Uh are stupid. And at number 10, Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, and Claude Rains. And ooh, that just sounds so much better than any of these others. Yeah, yeah. It's just so good. Any parting thoughts on the best years of our lives? Before we leave World War World War Two behind for a minute, for a short minute, for for a hot second here, he always comes back. I kind of felt like this movie would feel like the definition of too soon, but I don't think it was. I think it was just right. I think people needed this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels very of its moment. It's, why it doesn't surprise me that it was the top of the box office because. It seems like something that would draw people in. It's very much speaking to the times. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Which is why, in a half-hearted attempt to answer the audience versus Academy question, I think it works slightly better as the box office champion than the best picture. I agree. Uh, I think a lot of the performances were a little wooden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say my one... So I threw away my notebook, audience. I was like, these notes don't make any sense, and threw it to the ground, because they don't. But one note that did make sense said, Fred's drunk acting is mediocre. And I stand by that. Well, that's why he didn't get the trophy. It went to Al. Al's putting his whole back into acting drunk. Sure was. Sure was. Sure was. Doing it. Okay. So I've been Dan at Danny underscore G on Twitter, at Danaforth on Instagram, Tales from Parts Unknown for occasional rambling topics. I'm Erin Weir. I'm over at flimsyplan.com. And I'm Claire Bolton, and you can find me by following Dan or Aaron. And join us next week as Gregory Peck, human embodiment of gravitas, 
teaches us about the war at home and how it wasn't fully won. And audiences say, yeah, but um, what's Bing doing? That is always the question. Always. Then until then, we'll see you at the ceremony. Academy vs. Audience is a writing therapy production. It is hosted by Claire Bolton, Aaron Weir, and Dan Gibbons, and produced by Dan, me, hello. Find us on Twitter or Instagram at Oscar V Audience. Our graphic is by Ian Pond. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. It really does help. Writing Therapy Productions is a group of misfits weaponizing our broken brains for your entertainment through podcasts, web series, and more. Visit writingtherapyproductions.com to find out more on our current, past, and maybe even future projects. And if you felt like throwing us a couple of bucks on Patreon, we'd surely appreciate it. See you next time.